0: Even for those of you that are not interested in football, one iota will be aware that this year the Premier League ended unexpectedly with Leicester City. A team that if, um, if you'd been able... I, don't, I wouldn't know how to put a bet on, but this year I kind of regretted that. Because if you'd have put some money on at the beginning of the year the book is said there is 5,000 to 1 against the, uh, the possibility of this team winning the Premiership. That means that essentially, that if those odds still remain, that between now and 7,016, uh, 7, the year 7,016, it wouldn't happen again. That's how unlikely it was to happen, I think, <laughs> if I understand gambling. May not do, that may be a bit of a punt, but anyway, doesn't matter. The point is, nobody expected it. And as Pat said, it's been on the news. It was the headline news. And then they spent 15 minutes talking about it. It's just a game. And yet. The reason, of course, it's news, and I don't really need to tell you this, because nobody thought it was possible. Because the stories of the Premier Football League should not end like that. They normally end with the richest, the most powerful winning. But actually, this is... A different story but the other thing that happened in the week because of it is that people began a conversation then about well what does it mean and that was the really interesting conversation for those who are interested in football what does it mean and now everybody else is going well maybe it means that next year other teams can do something unexpected because one team's done it and it's not just that one thing happened but what does that one thing mean what might be possible how do you see life in the, in, through the lens of that seemingly impossible thing? Well, as I said when I prayed at the beginning of the service, today is the Sunday nearest to the 40th day after we celebrated the resurrection. And during the resurrection period, from when Jesus died and on that cross, and then, you know, you remember that desolate. Uh, moment on the Friday when all of everybody's hopes had died who'd followed him. And it looked like the, the you know, literally there was an eclipse, everything went dark. It's like, oh, this is the worst, the worst of days. And three days later, that moment where resurrection, where the impossible happens, where nobody expected the end of that story. And for 40 days, the gospels tell us Jesus kept appearing to people and saying, look, it's true. It really is true. It's not You're not having a hallucination. It's not like just a, a moment that three of you are having and, and wishing it. It's actually true. It's really true. And on the 40th day, the gospel tell us Jesus ascended. What I want to do this morning is really just remind us about the ascension, but then actually just answer the question, what does it mean? And how did the New Testament people make sense of it? And is there any way that that might help us? This is the, the text. It's in Luke 24. If your eyes are not great, you might be better following it in your own Bible, but if you can follow it on screen, that's great. But at the end of Luke 24, and this is the end of Luke's gospel, so this is his final sort of t- uh, payoff line, really. He writes, Jesus, he, he told them, this is what's written. So Jesus is explaining to what's going on. Um, This is what's written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You're witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And when he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. It's that line in blue that's the kind of one of the crucial lines. While he was blessing them, he, was, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And then when Luke begins his, uh, the story of the church in Acts, he picks it up there and says, while they were there, they watched him go. There's going to be very few images on screen this morning because actually all the Christian images to try and make sense of the ascension are rubbish. All right, They all look really naff. Because it's so difficult to imagine what that would be like. And interestingly, the New Testament church were less interested in the aerodynamics of it all and far more interested in what's it mean? What's it mean? Now, hold on to your brain for a minute because I'm going to take you back a bit and then we'll go forward a bit. It's not difficult, but just hold on to it. These new Christians, these new followers of Jesus had come out of... The Jewish faith, you know that. So they had the Old Testament scriptures, sort of like from Genesis all the way through to Malachi. They had the history books, they had the poets, and they had the prophets. What was going on was then when they started to think about what they'd seen and experienced when Jesus was there, they kept on saying, gosh, that looks like what Isaiah said would happen. That looks like what Joel said would happen. That looks like what Micah said would happen. That looks like what Jeremiah was talking about. That sounds remarkably like Ezekiel. That sounds like Deuteronomy. And so suddenly, in the life of Jesus, as they're retelling the story, give you—I mean, you could give any number of examples, but one example: Do you remember when Jesus goes into Jerusalem on a donkey? All right. And when you read it, Gospels are going. Do you remember Zechariah? Now, all of us are going, oh, yes, Zechariah, of course. We, <laughs> we don't know the Old Testament now, great, but they did. It was their Bible. It was like th- that's what they lived. And suddenly they could see it and go, oh, yeah. Now, I think what was going on, I don't, think it's, com- I don't think, I think it's like coincidence. I think sometimes Jesus knew exactly what he was doing and kind of acted out. I think essentially what I'm trying to say is I think Jesus knew Zephaniah, Zechariah. <laughs> um, and I think he said, "You remember when the prophet goes into the city and he takes uh, a donkey?" Let, he said to the disciples, and he? he said, "Boys, I've organized this. Go get the donkey." It's like he organized it. so it's not. But one of the passages that really filled the imagination of the New Testament Christians was from the book of Daniel. All right. Now do you remember, some of you remember Daniel from the stories of Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel he sees the writing on the wall. Daniel in the furnace. If you read the book of Daniel, one to six, great stories. And then chapter seven onwards gets a bit weird because there's all the visions. And what's happening is Daniel is a civil servant in Babylon, in exile, away from their own country. And suddenly he's seeing all these visions about the powers of the world, the empires of the world. But in the midst of it, he sees something else. And in Daniel 7, he sees this. As I looked, thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. In the midst of all of these human empires, he suddenly has a vision of God on the throne. And by the way, just in brackets, Uh, His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was pure like wool. Does that remind you of anywhere else? Revelation? Revelation? Where he talks about Jesus. In the midst of all of these empires, sees God. Sees God. And then he sees something else. And in my vision at night, I looked. And there before me was one like a son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and he was led into his presence and he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. And all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So he sees the Ancient of Days God, and then in his vision, he sees this one like a Son of Man who's coming on clouds of glory, and he is given authority. Now, you don't have to be that well-versed in the Bible to remember that Jesus regularly would use about himself the phrase, the son of man, came to be served, not to serve. In other words, Jesus in himself was giving an indication all the way through his ministry, that's me. I'm going to take that part. And then when Jesus ascends, the New Testament Christians, they go, wow, that's it. That's the end of the story. That's what's happened. That's what we've just seen. So this sort of like zooming off into heaven, it's not because God lives up there, but it's like acting out this. I saw one going into the presence of God and Jesus saying, I'm ruling, I'm ruling. Is that okay? Is that too, is, am I clear enough? All right. And it's not you. If you don't get it, it's not you. It'll be me. So don't, don't worry. So that's the story of the ascension. And that's why the New Testament thought, believers thought it was so important. But then we're back to Leicester City. Some of you going, oh, good, because I can get Leicester City. <laughs> we're back to Leicester City. All right. So Leicester City win the premiership. And everybody goes, wow. But the really interesting questions are, what does that mean now? In the light of that, will everything go back to normal? Now, in the premiership, it might do, but hold with me. The moment that Jesus ascended, everything changed and people began to say, so what does it mean? And the New Testament particularly start to think about what does it mean, particularly on the worst of days? This is the big so what. So if Jesus is ascended on high, on the worst of days, what does it mean? And I want to say three things. These three things are that Jesus prays for us in our weakness. He speaks on our behalf when we fail. And he understands us on our days of pressure. This is really simple, really. But let me tell you, just go through. And you'll see, just those of you that know the New Testament better than others, will know that the Apostle Paul wrote Romans... John, unsurprisingly, wrote John. And Hebrews, we don't think it was Paul. We have no idea, really. And uh, people have argued about who it might be. But the interesting thing is, it's probably three different writers. That's my point. have taken the same event and said, so how do we make sense of it? And what's the good of it for us? Well, in Romans chapter 8, we could spend ages on Romans 8, but we won't. But in Romans chapter 8, all of it is about the fact that God is longing to do something, not only for people, but for the whole world, the whole creation. God is at work in the whole creation. And yet, the reality of your life and my life is things don't always work out as you thought. Some of you, you know, we just need to look around, don't we? Some of us have got sticks. Some of us have got chairs. Lots of us have got glasses, glasses. Some of us have got limps. It won't be long before he's standing in Jill's shoes. Um, Frank over there. Um, we've got limps. Things are wearing out. You get tired. If you're under 35, folks, you've got it all to look forward to. You're dealing with weakness. You're dealing with weakness. And Paul writes this. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Just pause for a minute. When you ain't got a prayer left, you don't know what to say, and you take yourself off, and you're in a quiet space, and you simply do the equivalent of groaning. Paul says... God hears that. Because there's some days when you just don't know how to put into words what you feel. And you've not failed to pray on a day like that. It might be the best prayer you've ever prayed. Because the Spirit's at work in you. But he goes on. But more than that, Christ Jesus who died... More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. That word interceding is is just a word meaning praying for you. It's like that bridge word. I I come to you and I go there and I intercede, I mediate, I come between you. As the service goes on this morning, we might offer the opportunity for you to be prayed with. Imagine with me for a moment, if Jesus were standing at the front saying, any of you fancy getting prayed for? How many of you go, eh, not this week? <laughs> I'm doing fine to be honest. <laughs> How many of you go, yeah, I'm, you know, there's people more worthy than me. I'll be all right, don't worry. No, we'd be a stampeding, Wouldn't we? I, I tell you, I'd be fighting you off. I'd be at the front. Well, here's the truth that Paul says that's exactly what's happening right now. That Jesus is praying for us. Sounds really weird, doesn't it? Sounds unbelievable. It sounds like, no, we know what prayer is. Prayer is when I sit down and I ask God for all the stuff I need. But Paul says, actually, there's something else going on. The spirit within you is praying. But actually, there's something even better than that is that that Jesus is speaking to his father for you. It's why when you pray, you don't need to tell God every incidental detail. You know, I've been in prayer meetings where people have said, Lord, we want to pray for Pat. You know Pat, she lives on Ranolf Court. It's number 20, Lord. You know, the, 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 it's a flat at the bottom of the place. It's the end. The one with the shutters on. You know the one, I mean. He knows and he prays on the days of weakness. Jesus prays. And then John, when John's writing, and John's writing in the context of when you mess up, when you sin, he does something really interesting. He says, if you say you don't sin, you're a liar. (laughs) Yes, just say that. And then he says, but when you do, you're not hopeless. Because I write this to you so you won't sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate, a defender with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. What's Jesus doing? Jesus is your permanent defender. The permanent one who said, I've paid their price for the sin. I'm the advocate, I'm standing there in their place. And um, for some of you, for all of us sometimes and some of you today, that feeling of almost, I can't look God in the eye because I just feel quite ashamed. And John says, you don't need to feel like that. Because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father going, I've atoned for their sin. I've atoned for her sin. I've made it right. I've paid the price. They're covered. And then thirdly, on the days of pressure. And this is from the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is a book that really was written to people who just felt like packing it all in. They were finding being a Christian too difficult. They thought the rewards rewards weren't worth the price they were paying. And they just got to the stage where they thought, let's just pack it in. And the, the writer to the Hebrews is writing to them to say, don't give up. It's really worth the marathon. Don't give up. Don't stop now. And in Hebrews 4, he writes this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let's hold firmly to the faith we profess. We don't have a high priest who's unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses. We have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he didn't sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace uh, to help us in our time of need. Uses that picture of an Old Testament Jewish priest. And the Old Testament priest um, would be the one who would say, If you come to me, I get special access to God. So I can forgive you because I'm in special relationship with God. New Testament's not like that. But what Jesus is, what the writer of Hebrews is saying, Jesus is that person now. You don't need to come to a priest or a vicar or a minister or a pastor or a leader. Jesus. Is the one who is your high priest. He's the one who goes between you and the Father. Jesus is the one who makes sacrifice. Jesus is the one who understands you. Jesus knows what it's like to be tested in the same way as you have. There's a little phrase in the middle of that. We have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he didn't sin." It's an interesting little phrase, isn't it? So you might wanna say, I bet he wasn't tempted in exactly the same way because I spend too much time on the internet and I don't think Jesus was tempted to spend time on the internet. No, but I think Jesus knew what it was to escape reality. It's kind of like this thing of how human was Jesus? Does he really know what it means to break your commitments? Does he really know what it means to just let rage out? Does he really know what it means to escape the drudgery? Does he really know what it means to be just selfish? Does he really know what it means? Did he ever feel it like I feel it? Does he ever feel it like you feel it? And the writer to the Hebrews goes, Yeah. He knew exactly what it was like. And you don't want to face up to the stuff you've done wrong. When you think, could I just make a quick dash and get away? I was speaking to, uh, I was doing a a retreat for the Manchester Curates, um, Friday night and Saturday morning, Saturday, Saturday all day. And on the way... I ran into someone on limb interchange, <laughs> on the M62, <laughs> just drove into them. Um, it's easy done. <laughs> when they stop and you just don't. And so we're in the middle lane and he's going like that, like we'll go into the hard shoulder and I'm going, yeah, okay. The remarkable temptation to think, what would happen if I just drove off? I was in the Fiat 500, so I wouldn't get far, but but it kind of, it did, it crossed my mind. I thought, well, why don't I just, and then, of course, I didn't. I I want to tell you I didn't, all right, I didn't. But am I the only block in the room that's ever had a temptation to see, can I get away with something? Yeah, or woman. (laughs) Am I the only person who's thought, can I get away with this? Good, thanks, Pat. I'm really glad about that (laughs) because, to be honest, for a moment there, I was really quite worried. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Now, here's the question Did Jesus understand what it felt like to have that temptation? To not do the right thing? To use power for his own end? To turn these stones into bread? To throw yourself down from a temple? to take an easier way? Does he understand what it feels like to be me? Does he understand what it feels like to be you? And the writer of the Hebrews said, to people who thought they were gonna pack it in, he says, he knows, so don't give up. And more than that, he knows, he sympathizes, he feels it. But more than that, he stands with the Father and he speaks to us because Jesus was God in flesh. That's the whole point. He came and he walked in our shoes. Last couple of slides. How does the writer of the Hebrews start this? In these last days, this is how he begins his book. He has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe the son is the radiance of God's glory the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word and after he provided purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven and what the writer is wanting to say is this you are not a victim because Jesus reigns and all this stuff, if he understands your suffering and he's with you in your weakness and he's with you on the days of uh, failure, is true. But you're not, a, you're not a victim. You're not in the poor pity me syndrome because Jesus sits and reigns and holds this universe in his hand. He died for our sins. He rose again to conquering death. He ascended and reigns until all things are under his feet. So when I'm watching TV and the news and I'm watching politicians and I'm aware of people with pressures at work and your bosses who give you a hard time I'm I'm aware of families who are not in right place, when I'm aware of your weaknesses and my weaknesses, when I'm aware of our disappointments, I wanna say Jesus reigns over all of that. And what's going on for the whole world? Well, this was a phrase that Martin Luther King used in 65. He was talking about how do you keep going when it looks like everything's against you. And it was a part of the civil rights uh, march. It was, I think it was part of the Selma thing. But it was that sense of he was talking to people who were really uh, oppressed. The, the black majority the minority in America who were oppressed. And he said, we don't stop hoping that things can change because... For him, as a Christian minister, Jesus reigned. How did it work out? The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice because God's at work and he's not given up. So it may take a long time to see all that we belong to see, but because Jesus is ascended, because he reigns, actually it bends towards justice because one day all things will come under his feet. This is Ascension Day. The day that we can say, who would have imagined it would end like this? On Good Friday. Who would have thought that this is where it would end? And then we unpack and go, well, what's it mean? And What's it mean for you now? Well, I don't know how you go out of church sometimes, but there's some days you kind of, I would wish you'd just go out with a smile and go, it's better than we feared. You know? It's not, it's not as bleak as we thought. It's not as grindingly difficult as we uh, feared. Actually, Jesus reigns. So if this is true, what are you going to carry away with you? So what? What are you going to carry? Come on. Hope. What else? Expectancy. I'm going to expect more. What else? <laughs> faith. Faith. Is that what you said? Yeah? Joy, faith. What else? Confidence. A confidence. confidence. That Jesus is with God and Do you know what? I, of all the things I've said, that's the thing that keeps blowing my mind. Because when things go wrong, it feels like, oh, you know, I, I feel like I have to really explain to God exactly. And he's going, no, listen, relax. <laughs> it's a good thing to dwell on. What else are you carrying? Love. Love. Yeah. Love for. How he loves me. Yes. Okay. That the receive, I'm going to receive that. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Rosie? Good. Not feeling guilty. You will. You, you mess up. I mess up loads of times. You mess up. I mess up. It's not a tragedy. Because actually, we come back to the one who says, I can, I can sort this. You own up to it. I can sort it. I'll defend you. I'm the advocate for you. Do you know, it's brilliant, isn't it?